Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good to be with you, wherever you may be. Uh, I appreciate being with all of you today, my friends, even though it continues to be remotely. Um, my heart is full because there's some great encouragement in the scriptures for us uh, in whatever we're facing today. You know, what I think about is even this day, uh, we were talking before uh, the service today about how it could be a not a not a pleasant day for some folks, right? Because they feel differently about what love is and, and things like that. And I do think, though, that today... It's a perfect day to hear of the real love that God has, not the cultural uh, definition or all of the things that we hear about it, but what God really says and, and what he's really like toward us. I love, like Barb said, I, I really resonate with the Barry White in the background of Kathleen's uh, uh, video there. It's it's so true. I mean, it's such a, such a great voice to describe that care and he, he would say that before his songs a lot of times and I thought that was just completely awesome. Um, but when I when I give you thought of this message title, I thought of someone is following you. What's your first reaction to when you hear that someone is following you? I mean I guess if you're on social media, maybe that's a good thing, right? Um, maybe if you're in a movie, uh, it might not be a good thing, right? In movies, if somebody's following you, it's often for nefarious reasons, right? Um, so today, what we're going to look at a little bit of uh, Psalm 23, uh, we'll touch again back in um, John 10. But um, primarily, I, I wanted to connect the idea of sheep and shepherd and tell you a little bit about how much and why Jesus used that analogy that how much the shepherd actually really did care about their sheep and what they did. And how there, you could see all the, all the uh, spinning of that that Jesus does to say, look, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. And I pray that as a result of what we uh, look at today, that there will be some new awareness that you would have of Jesus' love for you today. So as Steve pointed out last week, uh, this psalm uh, written by David and reflects a subjective uh, perspective, right? And what I love about it is how David reflected on his life as a shepherd and really connected with God in this way. In fact, some believe that this was reflective of David's entire life and how God was with him throughout it. Um, I remember that I there was a physics teacher when I was in college who told me that the most amazing miracle that Jesus did was turning water into wine because he said there are atoms that are not present in wine that are that are present in wine, sorry, that are not in water. And he said, he said that miracle was that Jesus was saying that he's the creator because he right there at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, he made something out of nothing, just like in Genesis 1. And I only tell you that to say this. God gets to us and speaks to us through the things that we're familiar with and relates to us as we truly are, not as we'd like to think of ourselves. 
So today we're going to jump into this uh, Psalm 23 again. We'll talk about the remaining verses, uh, three, the three remaining verses, while we uh, think about what it means that somebody's following you. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul and he guides me along the path for, uh, of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For your rod, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's start with taking a look at verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. I read this story from a vast sheep herder who settled in Nevada, originally from northern Spain, that's the Basque folks, and uh, shepherded Nevada bighorn sheep. He spoke about the painstaking effort that Shepherd went through to care for his sheep, and he had visited the Holy Land and spent time with shepherds there, learning their ways as well. And he said in the Holy Land, there was a walk they referred to as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It was a narrow passage that was so narrow that sheep could only travel single file up to the flatland above the tablelands uh, where the prime feeding was for the ground uh, feeding grounds for the sheep and actual footing on solid rock is so narrow in those places that a sheep can't turn around and it's an unwritten law of shepherds kind of like unwritten rules in baseball that flocks must go up the valley in the morning hours and down towards the evening Otherwise, they, get, they meet in the middle. They're stuck because they can't move around each other. They can't go around. Even mules couldn't have made the trip for centuries, but sheep and goat herders from earliest Old Testament days had maintained a passage for their stock to pass through. And the shepherd would usually bring up the rear and follow behind the sheep and had much practice in throwing their rods at uh, any predator who may be harassing the sheep. Would it really you know, made me think of was the story in um, J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings where uh, hobbits were skilled at throwing with either hand. They were just, they could knock something off, uh, you know, 100 yards away, they could hit it. And uh, the shepherd was so skilled in his, uh, in his use of his rod that he would just throw it and, and be able to hit those animals that might be after them, even on this uh, narrow passageway. Um, and the, if the sheep would sometimes fall into the gully on either side of the path, the shepherd would reach down with his crook or his staff, you know, that hook on the end, and he would hook the sheep either around the neck if it was a larger sheep or around the chest of a smaller sheep and lift it back onto the path. So it's no wonder that the psalmist says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me because it was a protection thing. The sheep had confidence when they were walking forward that the shepherd was with them. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And poisonous plants would abound that are fatal to grazing animals, right? Especially up in that uh, plateau area where they would feed. 
And each each spring, the shepherd would be constantly alert and would go in advance, go in advance and prepare the way. And he would go there and he would take a flat, uh, go to the area where the plants were and he would take like a small pickaxe and he would go out ahead of the flocks and he'd cut out every stalk and root that he would see. And, and then he would dig it out and he lay it on this, these little stone pyres and they would dry them out for a day and then he'd burn them all the next day. Uh, in the meantime, the sheep then are led into the newly prepared pasture and that's now free from poisonous plants. In the presence of their deadly plant enemies, they eat in peace. And in and then the, at the end of that verse, it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Every night, as the shepherd put their sheep into the pen, he would be at the gate to the pen and he'd carefully look over the sheep, each one, and see if it had any wounds or injuries that needed treating and would give them special attention. He would take those sheep aside and allow those sheep that he had examined and had no need of extra attention to go into the pen. And then he would pour oil on the wounds of those who needed it and comfort them and give them what they needed. Then after putting all the sheep into the pen, he would lay across the entrance just inside the gate. You remember what we read earlier in our scripture reading today with Pastor Barb? And John 10, 7, it said, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. And he said, all that have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, go out, and find pasture. And the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. My cup overflows. Most assuredly, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I guess the best way I can illustrate this is um, what I experienced um, in my mom's passing. Um, my mom passed away in November, as, as you probably know by now. And um, I was talking to uh, Steve Thomas about it this week, and he asked about how I was doing with it. And um, as I reflected on what losing mom meant, I, it felt like there was one big blast, you know, like, um, in sadness and sorrow that was, and it was basically when I arrived at the group home where my mom had passed and saw my brothers and sister and hold, held, hugged my old brother and, and we just cried and cried. Um, but I realized that there were a lot of little pieces of comfort that I received along the way. Um, the leadership of my company at work were incredibly caring and kind and gracious during the time leading up to mom's passing and beyond. And they truly saw me. And what's weird about it is that they saw me and my needs even before I saw what I needed, you know. And um, my wife, Teresa, who had lost her dad just two years earlier and her sister the year before um, my mom, I really understood that, uh, that loss. And um, gave me some comfort and uh, space to process. Not to mention she's grieving herself as well because my mom was a good friend of her and, 
and uh, cared a caring mother figure for her for 40 years. Um, and mom had lived with us for some time too. Um, my cousins who loved my mom so much reached out to comfort me and wanted to be with, with us and our family, but because of governmental and safety protocols, we couldn't have the funeral that we would have liked to, you know? Um, but what I found out, uh, was through in the midst of loss, there was foundness, if that makes sense. Um, God provided this in ways I really hadn't thought of or expected. Most assuredly, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, there was a uh, 182 verse poem written by Francis Thompson in 1893 entitled The Hound of Heaven. It sounds kind of sacrilegious, doesn't it? It kind of reminds me of how the prodigal son's dad saw him afar off and ran very undignified, really, to his son and threw his arms around him when he saw him. He wasn't really concerned about protocol, right, and how he looked uh, when he did those things. This author, uh, JFX, uh, John Francis Xavier O'Connor, who had written biography of St. Ignatius, among other works, had this to say about that poem, The Hound of Heaven. He said, the name is strange. It startles one at first. It's so bold, so new, so fearless. It doesn't attract, rather the reverse. But when one reads the poem, the strangeness disappears. The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, with unhurrying and imperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God, it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearyingly follows ever after, Till the soul feels its pressure forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit so what does it mean that somebody's following you it means that jesus pursues you like nobody else does he cares for you and wants you like no one else does. And if you respond to his love and uh, care for you, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, <laughs> you're the hound of heaven always in pursuit, relentless in your caring, relentless in your love, relentless in your reaching, ever reaching, ever pursuing, because you care about us, because we have value to you. There's nothing better than to know that kind of love here on Father's Day, or I'm sorry, on Valentine's Day. <laughs> it is our Father's Day, though, isn't it? That's the real love from our Father.
in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, that's so good. Such good stuff. Um, communion is a, a, a great place, and we're going to go into that now, but uh, to think about Jesus' care for us and his great, great mercy toward us. Um, I think about what Paul says here, and he actually uses this moment as a moment of teaching to say, hey, take this seriously when you take communion. And it wasn't so much to say um, what not to do, like you should be really uh, feeling bad or anything of that nature, but it's really to reflect not just on who God is, but on who we are and understand that um, if it weren't for him, we would be completely lost. And until we get our heads around that um, idea and that understanding of how much we really, really, really need him, um, it, it changes the dynamic from just someone or something we do on Sunday or um, or maybe something that we are in agreement about uh, concerning our, our religious faith. But this, this is deeper than that. This is talking about someone who actually cares and has done something about it. And it's a constant challenge for us to recognize what he's done for us. And uh, I do want to do that right now. So uh, in, in reading this passage here on the night that, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and gave thanks for it. And then he broke it and uh, broke it in pieces and said, "This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way, he took uh, the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And then Paul gives a teaching. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We announce it. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And this is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. This is not for you to say, oh, I, I'm unworthy to drink it. I'm unworthy to take it. That's not what this is about. This is about examining yourself to help you understand continually what he's done and continue to draw you near and continue to draw you back to the one who cares for you, the one who loves you, 